Welcome to An Unexpected Launch, a show about stories and the people behind them. I'm speaking with people who've gracefully navigated an unexpected life circumstance. These are stories of resilience, connection, and community. These are stories of lives being reimagined, rewritten, and rebuilt. I'm Kirsten, and today's story is about Renee and Pity P. They recently launched a fantastic podcast called Me and My Gay Ex-Husband, where they vulnerably share their journey, what it was like for Pity P to come out as gay, and Renee's experience navigating his coming out. Their podcast is a powerful research that openly touches on important issues that are often associated with stigma, such as sexuality and mental health. Renee and Pity P met at 13 years old and their connection was instantaneous. They started dating when they were 15 years old and were together for 11 years before they married. Happily married, they discussed buying a house, having children, and building their life together. Yet 18 months into their marriage, Pity P disclosed that he is gay. The period leading up to that the acceptance of his sexuality and their, the unraveling of their marriage was tumultuous. Despite the heartbreak, grief, and loss that they both suffered, they were able to eventually cultivate a deep relationship. Today, Renee is joining us from New Zealand and Pity P from Australia, and I am thrilled to welcome you both to an unexpected launch. Hi, Thanks for it's so us. good to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so Thank you much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to dive right in as I, I typically do. And um, Pitipi, you grew up in a traditional religious family and one who shaped your view of who you were to be and how you were allowed to live. And despite questioning your sexuality from a young age, you suppressed those feelings and you had convinced yourself that you wanted a wife, a marriage and children. So can you share with us the process of realizing and accepting that you are gay? Yeah, so it was a really long and slow journey really. Um, Right from a very young age, I knew that I was different. I acknowledged that within myself that I knew that I was different. Um, And through my teenage years, I did experiment a little bit um, and kind of figure out that I, where I was on the spectrum. And I identified mostly as bisexual to more towards the straight side. And I think a lot of that was influenced by my childhood and by my religious beliefs or what I was told was supposed to be the way that I should live my life. I, I didn't like to define my sexuality completely. I didn't want to be in either a gay box or a straight box. I just kind of said, well, I like Renee and it doesn't matter what gender she is. That's just what I like. And that then led me to feel that I had, I was going to have this future where I would get the children and I would get the house and, and everything that you're supposed to get when you're in a straight relationship or what you would kind of strive for in a straight relationship. So um, for me, realising that I was gay, I struggled with it because I tried to think that I was bisexual through that whole period. So the idea that I would then make that leap from bisexual to gay that's where I really struggled. And honestly, it's something that I am still struggling with trying to define, but I know that I'm a lot further on the gay side than I, than I am on the straight side or what I would have admitted to um, 
back then. So, yeah, it was a, a slow journey and one that was um, taught to me at a young age and how I thought I needed to be. I did question it growing up, but in the end, um, I realized that I was gay. So knowing that this was such a process for you, when you finally came to that moment where you could first admit to yourself the words, I'm gay, how did that feel to, to, to first accept that in yourself? So first accepting it within myself, honestly, is something that I actually am still struggling with. It's, it's something that happens so slowly. And for me, even though there was a moment where I knew that it was true, I still sat in the denial period for a very, very long stage. So yes, initially it hit me like a ton of bricks and I knew that there was no turning back from that point. I, I couldn't go back to my straight life. I denied it and I struggled with it immensely and I'm still kind of struggling with it, to be honest. It's something that just happens really slowly throughout your life and then once you make that realisation or that realisation clicks in your head, you then know that you have to start acknowledging it and you have to start doing stuff that's going to get you to your end result, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's pretty much I so appreciate you you sharing that you are still struggling because, um, you know, not everybody's ready at the same time. For some people, and this, I just listened to an interview with Pete Buttigieg, and he was asked, it was National Coming Out Day yesterday, and he was asked what he would say to somebody who was struggling. And something that really resonated with me is he said, some people are, are ready when they're 15. Some people are ready when they're, they're, they're in their 70s. And it's so important for individuals who are, are struggling with coming out to know that you may come to the point where you can say, I'm gay, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy thereafter. There still is going to be some struggle. So as you're continuing to struggle with this, what, what do you fear most about acknowledging that you're gay? So... It's not so much a, a fear, it's more that um, I find that when you're having to box yourself or where you have to put yourself into a category, it automatically sets out um, how you're supposed to be in your life. And I find that to be really dangerous. And that's what I've learned through my straight years is that if you do say that this is how you're supposed to live your life, you do end up questioning everything that you do. Really, it's just about me living. I'm. I don't, I don't need to say that I'm totally gay in order for me to feel like I'm gay, if that makes sense. I, I don't have to live by everyone else's restraints and their social acceptance. I, I don't have to. And that's where, I'm, where I say that I'm still struggling is because I know that to a degree people do have to then box people in order for them to get some sort of understanding. But at the same time, it's like, well, why? Why do I have to? And I've kind of realised I don't. So it's kind of finding that right balance for me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Renee, um, I'm, I'm going to ask, ask you a question. When, when you and Pity P were younger, he admitted to you that he had some experimentation and maybe he was bisexual and you really respected this. This was something that you really liked in, in Pity P. So when your marriage began to strain, did you did you wonder about his sexuality? Did you wonder in those moments where it was so 
difficult if, if he was gay? Yeah, I, I did. And I flat out asked him at one point. <laughs> um, so I think it's important to touch on the point that Pitipi made about the fact that when we were younger and really our entire relationships together, we tried not to be defined by a stereotype. We tried not to conform to specific gender roles for the sake of conforming. Um, we What mattered to us was about being happy and about acknowledging if this is working for us and do I do I love you? Am I happy? Is this working? And the answer was always yes. So the sexuality question was it was a non-event. It was something that was there and we were very fluid in terms of our thoughts around sexuality and our approach to sexuality as well, um, as well as gender and everything else um, in our lives. So I, it never really played a, a key role, but when everything started changing and it happened very, very quickly, I did. I asked the question and I said, you know, maybe this is something, is this a consideration? Because I was clutching at straws trying to figure out what was going on and what had turned my world upside down. So I asked the question and said, you know, is this something that has become a, a bigger part of our lives than we'd previously given it credit for? Is this something that is now an issue um, that previously was just something that was acknowledged? Um, and the answer was no. And the answer was definitely not. You're you're crazy. <laughs> how, how dare you ask if I'm gay? You know that I'm not gay. I've never been gay. Um, and this is just you going off on another tangent and being crazy. So I did, I did ask, I did question it, um, but it was a, a definitive no. Mm-hmm. So when he finally does admit to you that he's gay, in that moment that he tells you, what did you feel? Denial. <laughs> complete and utter denial so this happened about six months or so after he left um, and after our relationship had come to an end so it was separate in some respect from the separation um, and I remember it really clearly I remember where we had gone into the city together and were sitting by the river in Melbourne and it was a beautiful day and he said look I've got something to tell you um, I'm gay and I just went into complete denial. Um, I definitely did not. You mentioned World Coming Out Day was yesterday and I did the stereotypical bad response. <laughs> um, I definitely didn't react the way that I wish I had reacted um, because I just denied it. I was completely in denial. It, it, was, it was the opposite of everything that we had previously believed and talked about and gone through together. So him telling me that he was gay just did not make any sense in comparison to the previous, you know, 11, 12 years of our lives together. So I went really deeply into denial. I told him that I didn't believe him, um, that it was a cop-out. And I think, yeah, after that, I then became quite angry and went through a really all of the grieving stages, right? I went yeah. through that before I got through until understanding and acceptance. Um, yeah, was very angry about the lies and mm -hmm. the implications that that had on our history and our life together. And it's not an isolated event. It seeps into the rest of your life. Um, and that was, yeah, a, a tough period. 
Well, you know, you say that you had a reaction that it, you, if you could go back and change it, maybe you, you would. It wasn't the reaction that you wanted to have. And I think yeah. that for many of us, when we're you know, in that moment of hearing something that so alters ourselves, I mean, I think back on my reaction when my husband came out and I, I, I wish that I could go back and change that, but that's what I, that's just, it was just, you're so out of, it's, for me, it was, a, you know, an out-of-body experience and, and it took me some time to realize, gosh, I wish I would have done that differently. So I, I, I think that you, you're not alone in, in that instantaneous reaction yeah. and we just can't con- control it. Mm-hmm. especially when it comes out of left field, like you were saying, when it's something that doesn't compute with all the background and all the history you have. Right, yeah. right, exactly. So mm-hmm. Pewdie P, as you're processing your sexuality, you you really, you push Renee away. And Renee, as he's pushing you away initially, you're, you're just holding on even more tightly. And your relationship enters a, a very chaotic period. You're both undergoing changes and both suffering some, some mental health issues. And Pitipi, you were terrified initially to tell Renee that you're gay and you knew it would break her heart and it would, it would destroy what the two of you had built together. And to ease yourself through this transition, it's a time marked by some pretty severe depression, you turn to drugs and alcohol. And this is a very dark time for you. And you acknowledge in your podcast that this was something that you really needed to go through um, to really face your reality. What gave you the strength to emerge from that darkness? Well, I think in the end, it was almost like a, a sense of self or a sense of happiness that I was craving. And I knew that I was coming out of the alcohol. I, I, I felt like I didn't need it anymore and that I was growing and I wanted to grow. And there wasn't any one point that marked it for me. It was more just a, a slow realization that if I keep doing the same things, I'm going to keep feeling crap. So um, it, it just took me a really long time to realize, probably a good year or so I was abusing my body um, terribly and not just slightly, it was terrible. And, um, you know, I, I look back on that and, and I did, I feel like I did need that period in order to, to really try to accept it. Um, I do this thing where I like to run away um, and, and mask all of my feelings with alcohol and drugs and that's how I've reacted previously in the past and it's what I felt comfortable with. So I think it brought out the worst in me and I really did let it control me a lot more than what I would would have wanted. Um, but I still say that to some degree, I feel like without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I wish I had uh, proper tools and proper resources in order to get through that without having to abuse my body. Um, and especially with the way that that meant that I was treating Renee and the people around me where I did push all of these people away. Um, but it's almost like I felt like I had no control over that. And I mean, to a degree, I, I did have control over it, but I was allowing it more power than what it deserved. And that's where I struggled most. So yeah, in order for me to get through it, I think I, in the end was relying on some really good counseling and um, just 
stronger people around me who were able to kind of help me through that period as well and make me realise that I just didn't need it anymore. I, I've grown it or outgrown it. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Renee, during the period immediately uh, preceding uh, PODP coming out, gaslighting played a central role in your dynamics. So did you wholeheartedly believe the things that he was saying to you, or was there sort of this glimmer inside of you that that didn't accept the things that he was saying to you? There was no glimmer. (laughs) So I go into a little bit of detail in our podcast about this as well because gaslighting is such an insidious thing. It it doesn't come at you from the outside. It it sneaks in and it takes you from inside yourself. So you don't have room to question whether or not what they're saying is true because you know that what they're saying is true. They... It's a form of manipulation, gaslighting, and what it does is it makes you question really key fundamental things about yourself. It makes you start to question everything. So what you know, what you think, what you feel, what you know is truth, what that person said, what, you know, your memories are, it really hits you at a really base fundamental level. So there's not really any room to question whether or not what he's saying is true. You just know that that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't. I, I didn't have any internal defence against what was coming at me. So I believed absolutely everything. And I think that stems back to the, the relationship that we'd had, you know, that we'd built over, over a decade together where this person was my best friend who had seen me through the most traumatic times of my life and the most exuberant times of my life. He was always there. I believed everything he said, as I think you should in a healthy relationship. But when it turns and when that relationship starts to sour and that trust, implicit trust, is used against you, it can be quite devastating. Um, And... I know that that happened in our relationship and I've heard it happening in a lot of other mixed orientation relationships and a lot of that comes down to the the denial, it's deflection, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of what the gay party is feeling and they push that onto the straight party. Um, So no, I didn't question it, I didn't doubt it, there wasn't room for that, I just believed everything Mm -hmm. and I was in a very, very dark place. Well, and in fact, in, you share in your podcast, and, and everybody must listen to this podcast, you, you've shared so many things that people really need to hear that people struggle with, and you're so open about that. And Renee, you share that, you know, in, at this one of your, your lowest moments, you take a bottle of sleeping pills with the hopes that you're not going to wake up. Thankfully, mm-hmm. you did. Uh, <laughs> you know, suicide is increasing at alarming rates. And what would you say to somebody who's struggling with thoughts of self-harm? It's tough. (laughs) I wish I could say one thing that could cut through to the heart of it and solve any issues that people who are suffering from suicidal ideation or really deep depression. Um, But there is no one thing to say to, to somebody who's struggling. I think for me, 
knowing that you're not alone going through it is some to a certain degree that that can help because it makes you feel empowered knowing that I'm not the only person in the world who is suffering from this that's part of the whole reason why we're doing this podcast to begin with is to talk about a story that is otherwise just super underrepresented in in media and in in our lives so personally I didn't I had never been depressed before I had never suffered from any form of mental illness I had some quite dangerous misconceptions about suicide and suicidal ideation that I, I mean, that was born out of just misunderstanding and just miseducation, not knowing what it means to be in that place. So I thought I was too smart, that I was too strong, that I had too good a support network, that I had... I was too successful, that I was too happy and optimistic and all these things. I could never be touched by depression. I would never be that person who is selfish enough to try and and commit suicide. Mm. And when I went through it, I had to face that really stark realisation that all of those things that I believed were crap. They, They don't, they're not true. And you can, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, if you get down to that point and you are that depressed and that dark and that hopeless, it, it doesn't, depression doesn't care whether you're the CEO of a company or a, a cleaner. It, it touches everybody in every part of, in every corner of society. And that was something that was really tough for me to, to come to terms with, that actually I can be part of, you know, be impacted by this as well. So knowing that, being depressed doesn't put you in a box it doesn't mean anything about you it just means that you need help and to seek help and to get help and the other point of that is that when I I did try and commit suicide and I ended up telling my sister about it and she got me to hospital and fortunately I was okay but there was a knock-on impact of that where for years actually afterwards I and and still today I still feel a certain level of shame talking about the fact that I was at that point because there's a stigma that is attached to people who attempt suicide so you become this person who was just crying out for attention or this person who was a drama queen or wasn't strong enough to handle it or was selfish and and didn't think about how that would impact their family and friends and that stigma is really dangerous as well because that's that prevents people from seeking help when they need it and it also then contributes to people feeling it, it, it prohibits healing and it stops people from actually getting the help after the fact and admitting that actually I do need some external support to get through this um, because everything has to be fine. <laughs> um, so that flow on stigma, I think, is something that not a lot of people talk about and it's really important that that is acknowledged and people know that if you call out for help, you're an absolute hero and that takes so much strength and you should be commended for it and 
and you're so brave for calling out and actually seeking help. Um, yeah, so it's taking away that stigma after the fact, but also the stigma before mm-hmm. when people were getting really low. Um, yeah, that's what I would say anyway. Well, and thank you for sharing that because it really is, it's people feeling alone, feeling that they don't have the resources and, and, and thinking that there's nobody else who's going through this. And that's so isolating. And that reinforces those feelings of shame that you may have that absolutely prevent you from seeking the help that you need. And, and where all of this starts to change is through conversation. And that's why I'm so happy to be talking with you today that you're having your podcast because you talk about those things that are really hard that most people don't want to talk about. And so kudos to you for, for both sharing so deeply and, you know, about very painful and personal moments. Um, Peter P, I, I was so fascinated by the episode when you talk about your coming out party and I'm using air quotes, you know, you anticipated that once you came out, it was going to be wonderful and you were going to feel light and you would magically step into this new gay life with ease. And this was not the case. And, you know, in addition to suffering from the guilt and shame that you had, you you felt that you were ill-equipped to navigate this gay lifestyle. What would you say to men or women who are struggling to navigate this process? Yeah, so it's a really good question and one that I wish I heard the answer to when I was going through that. So um, so just to give it some context, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and for a lot of people, when they are coming out, it is great and it's amazing and it's everything that they wish it would be. But as you said, for me, it just wasn't. And that's because I, I was still holding on to a lot of the guilt um, and a lot of the shame, and I really let that rule my life. So when I added in the drugs and the alcohol that I was abusing um, and then mixed it in with the mental health issues that I had at the time, um, I, I did find that it was just a bit more difficult than what I was anticipating. But it's how I reacted to that that was, that was really quite dangerous. I would then seek happiness through... Um, having casual sex with men or putting my body on the line to then try and feel some sort of happiness because I just wasn't getting that internally and I was really trying to get that from external, that sort of external validation. And um, that's where I wish that I had those resources available in order to get me through that. Um, Really, it's just about reaching out, so looking for things online because I wasn't looking for any help. I thought I could do it all by myself I thought that I knew everything that I needed to know. And now in hindsight, I'm like, God, I wish I had just gone out to those support groups and and reached out to like-minded people, reached out to people who are going through the same thing so that I didn't have to live this really dangerous life in order to kind of figure out what I was doing with my life. I could have skipped all of those dangerous parts and got to the end result, which was for me to actually find happiness in myself and not try and find that externally. So yeah, I think it's so important that people reach out. So you you mentioned the the guilt and the shame that you were feeling. What led you to that path of self-forgiveness? Well, um, 
that path is still ongoing, actually. Um, and I think especially with the the conversations that have been brought up with the podcast, it's made me have to think about what I did. And my memory is really strange, especially when I when I was going through all of that, where I, I would forget. So hearing it in a podcast that I can play on Spotify to myself and hear myself being shocked when I hear about all of these things that I've done and said, it, it still does bring me a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because I always thought that I was stronger than that and I always thought that I was better than that. And just hearing that that's how I treated my best friend, it's hard. It's really hard. And really, it's just about being patient with yourself. And I know that that sounds really cliche, um, but understanding that that's what you've done. You can't really change that. And you have to get to a point of acceptance of, yes, accepting that I've done all of those really horrible things that I never thought possible and and listening to myself say it and acknowledge it and listening to Renee's story and actually accepting it, that's helping me on my journey. I'm not there yet, but I'm so much further than I was, say, two, three years ago, and especially after that point of disclosure. So, you know, I'm getting there, and that's, it's encouraging anyway, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> Well, I think it's so important to acknowledge that all of this takes time. Um, I, I recently had a conversation with somebody over Instagram whose husband just recently came out and she's just in that that very initial stage of that devastating grief. And, and you know, I, I had written a post to my gay ex-husband um, yesterday and it's been five years, but literally tears were streaming down my face the entire time. And so it just, it, this journey takes a long time. And when you're in a relationship with somebody for decades, it takes time to unravel and unwind your identities. And it takes time to forgive yourself and that other person. And grief is a journey that I, I don't, I personally don't think grief ever goes away. I think it it's grip lessons with time, but for me, it's always there. And I, I never want people to feel discouraged to think, because I thought this myself, I think it's been a year, I should be fine. Or it's been two years, I, sh I should be fine. Why am I not healed? And I think it's so important to acknowledge that this journey of, of self-compassion and forgiveness for ourselves and others and managing grief, it just is a, it's a lifetime journey. And I think that it shapes your life in really beautiful ways. It wakes you up to things that you would have never thought of. And so it can be so devastating on the one hand, but as you move through it, there are things that come out on the other end that you would have never expected that that are beautiful. Um, you know, Renee, I so related to the episode where you were talking about sort of the coming out from party the after party from your perspective because I I felt the, the same thing party. <laughs> yes, exactly um you know you're you're suffering you know Pitipi is suffering but you're also suffering for very different reasons and externally you see him being celebrated and he's congratulated and in the meantime you have you have nothing to celebrate you know your life has has fallen apart you've lost your your spouse who's your best friend 
Share a little bit about what this period was like for you. Yeah, it's that it's that juxtaposition between a celebration and a devastation. And it's how do you reconcile that? Because how can I... Firstly, I believe wholeheartedly and truly that coming out is something to be celebrated. I think that anyone acknowledging their truth and living their lives the way that they see fit is something that should be celebrated, regardless of what that is, um, and especially for coming out. Um, but then with Pinapes coming out, it was in line with my absolute devastation and the lowest point that I had been in my entire life. So that was really challenging, trying to reconcile those two sides of, of the same coin. Um, I think during that period, I like I said before, and you touched on as well, those stages of grief, and it doesn't really ever go away, that, that grief process, you find yourself, you know, a year, two years, three years, probably even in 10 years time, suddenly right in the middle of it again. And you're like, come on, I thought I was done with this. I've, I've, look at where I am in my life now compared to where I was back then. How does it still hurt? Um, but it's something that you just keep working through. So during that period, there was a lot of anger. I was very angry, <laughs> which I think is in hindsight healthy. I needed to separate from Pinapi as well. I, I couldn't be friends with him. I needed to draw my boundaries. And I think I somehow managed to find the positive side. And that's what really helped me through in that journey was trying to see, okay, that's done. That side of my life is done what's next mm -hmm. what else can I do and how do I actually make the most of the situation I find myself in where's the silver lining that has to be here somewhere how do I work through that um so yeah that period was very much about looking internally pulling on my support network um but in terms of my emotional state I was yeah over overwhelmingly angry um and also working through that shame because yeah. No one talks about this. No one talks about your husband being gay. And, yeah, there are all of the, that stigma and all of those feelings that you have to work through internally as well. So, yeah, shame and anger were my two overriding feelings during that coming out period. One of the things that you, you both talk about in the podcast is when somebody comes out and people say to you, well, of course, or obviously, or... <laughs> Didn't you know? And, you know, when you guys were talking about that, I, I just, because when people said to me, it made me question my judgment. And I thought, well, if everybody else knew, or did I miss something? And, and it was such a hard question for me to answer because I felt like there was implicit judgment in the question. And I don't believe that anybody intended it that way. I mean, these are my friends and family, so I don't believe that there's intention. But it really is a question that makes both parties feel very uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just one of those those things that we, we continue to navigate that people don't really think about. Um, I, I You touched on this a little bit, but... I'd love to hear how, so you've gone from this very tumultuous relationship, you you need to separate from each other, 
build your own lives. You you're now doing a podcast together and you've developed this deep friendship. So can you walk us through how the concept for your podcast came about? Sure. We're both looking at each other trying to see what we're both It's called me and my gay ex husband. So the me reply that you came up with the idea. <laughs> okay, well, I did come up with the idea. Um, and I was living in Germany at the time. Like, obviously, I'm in an isolation hotel at the moment. I've just moved back to New Zealand. I haven't been allowed to really touch New Zealand soil yet. Um, but I was living in Germany and I had been through quite a, a healing process over the course of quite a long time where I had really, I felt incredibly strong and I just had this sense of peace, I suppose, kind of wash over me. And I thought, I think it's time and I think I, I feel like I'm strong enough and I am in the right place mentally, emotionally and physically to actually share the story. And the concept of the podcast was really simple. It was to tell the story that is usually kept quiet or swept under the rug. It was to tell people what happened and to hope that people connect to the story and understand that they're not alone. Because when I went through it, I felt alone. And I felt like I was the only person in the world who was faced with the situation I didn't understand, I rejected and did not want to be in, and I struggled, and it had some really terrible consequences for me. And my one hope was to have one person <laughs> identify with the story and feel connected and not feel alone. If it could help that one person, then my job was done. And... I felt that the idea of having Pitipi and I talk together was really powerful because we still have a good relationship. We are friends and we still support each other in a different way. We're not together, but we still have respect and love for each other that I think comes across. And I wanted to share that with people as well so that a lot of people, if you are in a mixed orientation relationship and you lose your best friend, that can be just as devastating as all the other challenges that come around coming out. And it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it is possible to still have a relationship, albeit a different relationship, after the fact. And that's, in my opinion, a hopeful message and one that I wish I had known and heard and could connect to four years ago when I was surrounded by black and completely overwhelmed by this unknown and in a really, really dark place. Um, so that was, yeah, where it came from, from my side. And I called you, could it be? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, for me, it's very much everything that you've just explained there, but it's also because when I was thinking about the kind of resources that would resonate with me and something that would, would have helped me had I listened to that during that period, I wanted to create something like that. So I wanted something that was honest. I, I love that we can be yeah. so raw in it. We laugh, we cry, we argue, just something that just feels very real because I find that a lot of the resources out there can be 
unrelatable and it's because you don't get that raw emotion. Um, so the chance for us to be able to create that together has been like a, a no-brainer, really. So getting those resources and also knowing that we can help people is, yeah, is really the reason I see yes to it as well. It's a really good point. It's taking the gloss off it as well mm. and that's what we try and do and that's why we've this is the first time we're putting our faces out there in relation to yeah. our podcast um and that was a that was a a thought out that was a purposeful thing that we did we wanted to have the and the freedom that anonymity afforded us so we wanted to be able to tell our story with no holes barred um and the one way that we knew that we could remain authentic and stay true and actually tell the reality of what happens is by having a, a bit of a barrier between who we are and sharing that story. Um, because sometimes it's easier to talk into a void as opposed to face someone and, and tell the story. Um, it allowed us to, to strip off and to be vulnerable and to share the truth. Um, but I feel like now we've progressed enough in ourselves and in our podcast as well, but this is a natural evolution in that, um, into that next step, being able yeah. to, yeah, maintain the authenticity without the stage fright, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, I'm, I have to say I'm absolutely honored that you have agreed to do the video because I do think that it helps that connection. I think that people see themselves in other people when you have somebody to look at and to see them and to see their emotions. And so I'm, I'm really thankful. Um, you know, on your podcast, you, as you say, you are very vulnerable and you are sharing some very painfully personal moments. And so you are hundred percent successful in, in achieving what you set out to do. What did it feel like when you, you had recorded that first couple of podcasts and you push play and your story in all of its grit and glory, was out. How did that feel? Do you want to take that one, Critic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, naturally I felt scared. I, I felt scared. It's not something that I had openly spoken to to a lot of people, and the idea that people that uh, around me might hear this and actually understand the truth of what I was going through or the truth of all of the all of the, the terrible parts of that as well were going to be readily available to everyone around me. It was scary. Um, but that kind of dies down over time. You then realise that that's all part of that journey is really in order to own your actions and to own your th thoughts and feelings, you, you have to kind of unashamedly put it out there for people to, to judge if they want to and then that's just fine. And that was a, a slow thing as well. So yes, the first few episodes were really uh, like, oh gosh, it's that time <laughs> of the week again. And now it's sort of just like, okay, another part of the puzzle that everyone gets. So it's, um, yeah, it's changed over time, but it, it's good now. Yeah. And for me, it was, it, it was really, I felt really, really vulnerable. So putting that out there was probably one of the most vulnerable things that I've ever done. I, I, I don't even post photos on Facebook. I am such a private person. Um, so for me, putting myself out there in the public arena and telling a story that was really intimate and really um, personal and, and deeply personal was something that was really challenging. And 
I think without having that driving force of our reason for doing it, trying to help people and trying to get the story told because I believe so much in representation. So without that, I don't think I would have I would have done it. Um, and since doing it, every week we get emails or messages or contact through our website or things from different people who are all over the world who, I mean, we have 17 different countries, I think, who have been listening to our story, uh, places where I just never, ever thought we would get to. Having people who are young, who are, like you mentioned, someone who was 70, um, you know, contacting us and saying, I've just come out, I identify, thank you for giving me the strength to to keep going with this or to feel not so isolated. And that's really been pushing us to keep going was to know that we set out to try and make a difference in one person's life and we have made a difference in that one person's life. So mission accomplished and thank God we did it. <laughs> well, congratulations. You know, like you said, you, you set out to reach one person and you're clearly your reach is, has extended much beyond that. And I think it's really, it's putting out that raw, vulnerable, really scary story in an authentic way. That's what allows people to see themselves in you. When you are putting yourself so out there and being so honest, that's what gives people the courage to connect and raise their hand and reach out. So I, I just am so happy that you've been doing this and putting those big, scary stories out there. I want to ask you both you know during it's been a journey and it's as you both mentioned it is still a journey where where do you turn to for inspiration um for me <laughs> um i rely very heavily on my friends and family network that's i i have a lot of internal like meditation and being in nature and walking and doing that type of thing but really my friends and family are my rocks and they will never know how much they mean to me um, because without the support, I have a, a huge family, but my friend network are just the same as my family. And yeah, they have helped me through the lowest of the lows and shared the highest of the highs. And I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be here without their support and without their love. So that's, they're my inspiration and yeah, that's where I get my strength from. Yeah, and I think similarly, mine is also the the friends and family. Without them, I, I wouldn't be where I am today as well. So really it can even be something just as, as simple as a, a small conversation about how you're feeling or a small, um, a small conversation about what you're doing or something, all of those things and people don't even realise how much they, they do help, but all of those things come together from your friends and family um, to then help you on your journey. But, yeah, that, that's where I really tend to for my inspiration. I think um, in recent time, my brother, um, who is older than I am, he identifies as gay as well, and he has recently moved back to Melbourne, and I've been able to reconnect with him and get that sort of inspiration as well. Not so much on how or what he's doing with his life, that's him and it's not me, but the idea again that you can be gay and happy. And I get to see that in my own, 
my own sibling. So I, I really draw on that as like um, where I want to be as well in terms of where I am with myself, um, being gay and happy. So yeah, my friends and family. So what would you say to friends and family who, um, how can they best support somebody who is struggling with coming out or Renee in your situation, um, being the person who is married to somebody who's just come out? What would you say how, how they could best support you? Yeah, well, interesting you ask because we, I asked my sister this question recently <laughs> and I said, as a support person, it must be so difficult. How, how do you do it? How, how are you there at three in the morning hearing my story again and again and again and supporting and non, being non, non-judgmental and just being there? And she said, <laughs> really interestingly, I got support. And she said, I then. So my mum always said to me, a problem shared is a problem halved. And I believe that it's about sharing the load. And this is why we have community. It is why we have people around us because as a group, we are stronger than as a solo one person. And that applies for people struggling like I was and still am at some parts of um, the time at some times as well. But it also applies to people who are supporting someone else who is struggling you also need to get that support. And I mean, she said to me, I went to my GP and told them what I was going through. And I spoke to a counsellor myself about how can I be a better support person? How can I support this person without being dragged into it and without becoming overwhelmed myself and maintaining self-care and good personal Um, and mental health as well as being there to support this other person so it's the same concept you reach out to your support network and to the resources and people around you and that's what I would say and having that non-judgmental support just always being there and that unconditional love is it means the world and like Pitapi said as well you might not actually realize it but a conversation you have with someone today might come up five years down the track, 10 years down the track at a certain point and you'll remember that conversation or that little bit of love or that compliment or that one little bit of kindness that was afforded you and it can mean the difference for somebody. It can mean the world to somebody. So, yeah, that's what I would say to the support networks. Yeah, Yeah. and I, I think exactly the same with what you just said there and I think, again, like you said, the importance of having non-judgmental help through that as well I think that's really key a lot of the time a lot of people just want to talk about it they don't want you to fix it they don't want you to give your opinion on on how you're feeling they just want to talk and I was lucky that I did have that around me but I did eventually start reaching out Um, but I think that that was a key a a key moment for a lot of my friends and family Um, because like you were saying Kirsten um, a lot of your friends and family they don't know whether or not they're going to say something that's wrong during that period and it can be like walking on ice around you Um, (laughs) but it's important that you understand that people are human and some people might not say the right thing to you and you do have to have that kind of resilience but at the same time surrounding yourself with people that are non-judgmental about what you're going through and 
uh, are there to support you as opposed to tell you what to do. I think that that's key for me anyway. Well, and you know, I think that sometimes people are afraid to say something for fear of saying the wrong thing. And what I would say is I, something may uh, sort of strike me as as feeling maybe putting me on the defensive. But at the end of the day, I knew that everybody who was saying something to me was saying it from a place of love and and caring for me. And so I knew that in my heart that they were they were all they were trying to do whatever they could to support me and they didn't know what to do or say either. And so what mm -hmm. I would say to people is don't be afraid of saying the wrong thing because you never know what, and actually something might be right today and wrong tomorrow, depending upon where I'm at. And so say anything, just be there and support. Don't worry about saying the right or the wrong thing. It's more important that you're just there for people. That's right. So you've both been on and continuing on these journeys. And something that I said earlier is that I believe that through our journeys and through our lowest moments, unexpected gifts come into our lives and what would you say for each of you an unexpected gift of your journey has been? I, I think that um, for me personally and, and it might be very similar to Renee's answer as well is just really finding that sense of self and one that I didn't feel that I even needed to find. Um, this journey has been a whirlwind and just realizing at the end of the day I, I can get through it has been confronting at times but also really rewarding and um, just understanding that I can, uh, I don't have to make decisions based on other people's feelings in order for me to feel happy. That's been probably the major gift that I've taken from all of this is that real sense of self and that sense of self-belief that I wouldn't have had otherwise at all. Um, but again, it's not something that I thought I needed help with because me and Renee were so solid and so strong and we had each other's backs. But to realize at the end I can, I can do things and still be fine has been amazing. I love that. Yeah, that's great. I think for me the unexpected gift was freedom. It, it's, I don't know, I, I feel like as devastating as it was, it, it's, it is literally a gift to be allowed to take control of your life moving forward. I was able to reimagine everything that I wanted and I was able to find joy in things that I had neglected previously, picked up old goals and dreams that I had that I had kind of put on the not-this-time pile um, and being able to explore things like Pitapi said, to find that internal sense of self-worth so that I'm not looking to an external source for that. I'm actually finding that within myself. And so that really deep feeling of, I don't know, fulfillment, but also that freedom that suddenly I am. And that can be scary. It was scary at the start, but it's something that I've learned to like absolutely embrace. And I'm so happy about where I am right now. And yeah, if you had told me I would be here four years ago, I, I would have walked out of the room yeah. <laughs> because I would not have believed you either. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, really embracing that and feeling that 
very deeply is yeah the, the biggest gift that I and I said it to you didn't I Pinnaping I said thank you for leaving <laughs> and I didn't think I would ever say thank you for leaving but yeah I wouldn't be where I am now without you having gone and the future holds so many beautiful opportunities and things moving forward for both of us that wouldn't have been a possibility had we stayed together in our relationship. Yeah, I think it was just yesterday, actually, when we were replying to one of the people that got in contact with us, and we were explaining that we do see our, our separation as a gift, um, because mm-hmm. we, now, we, we now have two transformed people, and people that are able to, um, that have their own goals, and, and the journey for us has really been able to see it that way. So at, at first, we couldn't see that our separation was a gift or whatever, but slowly over time, we've seen that that actually has been um, and something that we're really starting to embrace now too which is really good that's beautiful thank you for that well renee and pdp thank you so much for speaking with me today and sharing your story with us your your podcast is phenomenal and people can find you me and my gay ex-husband on instagram you're on spotify you've got a website and you know, I see myself in your story and, and others will also. And so I'd like to thank you for the incredible work that you're both doing. And before we close, is there anything that we haven't shared that you would like listeners to know? From my side, it would just be to, to reach out and to get support, to know that you're not alone. There's a couple of resources we've got, um, which I think we'll share alongside this, like Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Better Pride Australia, coming from the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so a few different organisations, the Straight Spouse Support Network as well, places to go and reach out and feel like you're not so isolated and alone. Um, and then I also wanted to say thank you to you as well for all the work that you do. I'm working my way through your catalogue, <laughs> but I identify with every story that you have, all of your guests that have been on the show, people similar to me, people that I am so different from, but I connect with their stories and their way of seeing the silver lining in some really devastating and traumatic events is inspiring. And thank you for allowing a platform to people to share those stories because we get really bogged down with negative news and negative stories, especially in today's climate. Yeah. And hearing your stories and for the people that come on here has been a real help for me personally. So thank you for all that you've done. Thank you. Yeah, I think you pretty much covered everything there, Renee. Pretty much everything that you just said. And a big thank you to you, Kristen, for giving us this platform to again share our story too. Um, but yes, I, I have to reiterate as well that I, I really did resonate with some of the stories on, on your podcast too. So mm-hmm. every single little bit helps over time, no matter how long it's been. If you hear a different perspective, you learn and you grow. So I'm really grateful for what you're doing too, Kirsten. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Unexpected Launch Podcast.